Wait, you're taking Uber during the week? I took an Uber at why? Well, I turn up on weekdays too, Kurt. <laughs> Dumb matter. You go? Dumb matter. Uh, I went to the Pistons game, so I Ubered there because I didn't want to park my car, and then I went to a bar afterwards mm. with some friends, some new friends. No new friends. Well, maybe you maybe new friends. Uh, I, I knew one of the guys from Monroe, like where I grew up. So, yeah. He, but then the other guy was def, like a full new friend. Wow. So he's a full new friend and then partial new friend. Yeah. Yeah. We've been texting. He's a good guy. Wow. Yeah. Welcome, friends, to Direct a Podcast, episode 25. If this episode were a person, it could now rent a car without a fee. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Dayful Collective and Film Supply. Film Supply is a full-service licensing agency that houses incredible, highly curated footage by myself and hundreds of other filmmakers. If you're looking for footage to fill the gaps or just building a treatment and need inspiration, check out filmsupply.com. We got a good one today, guys. Today's guest is director Philip R. Lopez. Mm. Philip went to school to be a doctor, actually. Uh, Pretty crazy story. Yeah. And uh, then decided to make the jump over to film. He's blown up this past year, kind of, uh, in the music video realm. He's done a pair of videos for Kygo. He's done a Cold War Kids video. David Gatta, however you even say that guy's last name. The Bono Uh, music video. He did a Bono one? No, it'd be cool. Well... That's next. Uh, and he's very concise, too. So enjoy this very short and sweet chat with Mr. Philip. Here we go. Philip, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the mustache, first and foremost. <laughs> I mean, it's in, the, it's in the Instagram handle, so I, I, I take it it's a pretty integ- integral part of who you are. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a, a love-hate relationship with my mustache, uh, for sure. Um, I think a long time ago, I kind of realized that if it's something that you just kind of grow and keep having, that it sort of will generate its own sort of, uh, I don't know, attention in and of itself. Um, it was kind of the brainchild of my cousin and I, because we, we used to live in my parents' garage when we kind of first took up photography and doing video work together, didn't really know what we were doing, and just... To the point that we would kind of put on suits and like clock in to work in my parents' garage. It was always kind of this sort of like Wes Anderson vibe to our work ethic. And the mustache was sort of an extension of that. Um, it was also supposed to be something a bit more of, you know, apathy and active omission. Like not cutting the mustache was something that back in the day was something you could hide behind and kind of had the sort of antithetical or opposite response moving forward and became trendy, which is the worst. But uh, <laughs> How long good. have you had it then? Um, I've had it for I think ten years. It's I originally wrote it and like the longer hair for like one of the first movies I wanted to make, and I would play a part in it. And it was supposed to have the mustache ripped off in the sort of denouement of the film or whatever, uh, and be like the half mustached uh, villain towards the end. But you know, uh, film financing is a bit rough these days, so I haven't <laughs> made it yet. So I'm still stuck with it. That's hilarious. <laughs> Just gotta wait till that money's there, and, th- and then you can finally take it off. I know. I feel like if it's on that sort of bit of a stage, I'll feel good about parting with it. Until then, I feel a bit stuck uh, <laughs> into my own branding at the moment. That's hilarious. So, I mean, that's kind of a good segue. I was going to ask next kind of 
how do you what's like your background in film like where did where did you first fall in love with film um you know i've always been a big kind of fan of film my mother and i used to always watch a lot of movies together and with my family but but i, I went to usc as a biomedical engineering major uh doubled in pre-med I was much more of a, a math and science guy. I had wanted to be a doctor for the majority of my life. Uh, I never really thought much of having a career in film. Um, but then, you know, I, SC was cool because SC had a bunch of cool classes that I went to and I dug. I didn't necessarily like the kind of production classes there because I always found it a bit strange to teach people how to, how to make an art or how to be artists kind of in the same homogenized fashion that kind of I found that limiting and a bit odd. Um, so I never really got too into it there. And then I think when I was in and out of the hospital, I always kind of struggled with the idea of being a doctor or being a doctor in general because I think you only kind of prolong people's lives. And I would rather affect a life first simply just prolong it. And that was kind of a decision I made in college to, to be more of a, a filmmaker and try to tell a story versus simply just prolong somebody else's story. So you make that decision and, you, you know, you tell your you tell your parents that you're, hey, I'm going to be a filmmaker, not a doctor, or the people you maybe in, in high school and stuff like that you had told. What was the reaction like when you decided, like, this is what I'm going to pursue? I mean, my father didn't understand it. He, he, he's like, he thought I wanted to be an actor. And I was mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I'm not trying to be an actor. Like, the film school here is actually pretty good. Uh, I want to tell stories. And they definitely weren't very receptive to it at all at first. Cause I mean, you know, it's, it's an expensive school. I don't come from a large background of money and there was a lot of scholarships um, for engineering. So the minute I kind of steered away from that, all of that was dropped. So it was, it was tough. Cause I think I was always a bit of, you know, I wasn't, I was a bit arrogant in high school. Um, and that was kind of the way I would kind of uh, hide my own insecurity. So kind of go from this elitist kind of echelon of wanting to be a surgeon to kind of being a filmmaker or trying to be one like everybody else does these days was it was difficult to some extent i would say and then i guess what did it what did that look like right after after you made that decision was was it an easy trajectory into filmmaking or was the road long i mean it was a it's it definitely is a long long uh, journey and still is um i kind of had to leave school because i was physically sick so I had to go home to my parents and kind of handle all of that in the midst of trying to figure out how to rectify, you know, three quarters of a degree in, in science and how to move forward and make films. So once I got better, I got the easiest kind of job I could think of, which was at Blockbuster, ironically enough. Um, was a manager there and then started bartending because bartending is the easiest way to get a large amount of cash and still be able to do whatever you want and kind of dictate your own schedule. So from there, I'd work nonstop at Blockbuster, go right to bartending, and eventually saved up enough money to buy my own red one, which kind of was my workhorse forever and just made all the mistakes in the world in that thing and took any job and every job and kind of kept learning what to do with clients, with people, the kind of the social cues, how to handle personalities, uh, finances, and just, just trial and error for years, I think like six years with that camera. Um, did a lot for me, I think. Was it a lot of music, uh, music videos and that type of stuff? Because you know now I, I think you do a lot of you know you do a lot of music videos and stuff. Was that kind of how it started? Knowing some bands and meeting people mm. in the music industry, or not really? Um, I kind of came up more on the fashion side of things. There's that really weird sort of gray landscape um, with bigger photographers who want to kind of become directors, and a lot of times on set, you know, you've got these these huge actors that they're photographing 
there's also opportunities, especially these days when most photographers are rocking and rolling on like a 5D, they can just quickly switch over to video and kind of make a quote short film. So that's kind of where I came in, where I had a red one and would just piggyback with uh, Davis Factor, was the guy I worked underneath for a long time. And he was quite, you know, he was very gracious. He would let me kind of do whatever I want, where I would come to him with an idea of like, all right, we're going to have somebody read a quote from David Foster Wallace. I'm going to film at 100 frames per second and kind of make something sort of, you know, very um, uh, like Terrence Malick, kind of poetic and a bit that Walt Whitman go forth Levi's vibe and kind of be able to try out whatever I saw happening on the media landscape and try to do that with these big name actors. So from there, it kind of worked into more fashion jobs and a lot of these video lookbooks, photo lookbooks. And I think towards, I've only been making music videos, I think for about a little over a year now. So was, was photography something that you were, that you were always into or was that something that came as like a byproduct of you had the camera in your hands because you wanted to be a filmmaker and, uh, you just started doing that simultaneously. Um, I think I'm, I'm definitely sort of a, you know, a person of our generation in the sense that uh, every medium seems to interest me, and every medium seems to be needed to fully express what is whatever my perspective can be qualified as. You know, I think filmmaking was the goal in the beginning, and because my cousin had a camera, and we'd mess around taking photos from there. You know, I run into somebody else who gave me a camera, they gave me, I think, a Pentax 6-7. And from there, I was just hooked on that camera because, you know, shooting film and be able to shoot just photography, I found so therapeutic because you, 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 you put a lens on a camera, you put film in a camera, you take a photo, and you're done. Where with filmmaking, you have to write the concept. You have to convince somebody to fund the concept. You have to convince all these people and kind of, you know, work with this large team of people to tell a story. It's more often than not, you need just a camera and a person where the photography was the opposite. I found it nice just to be able to do something that physically have the act of completing a project versus always it being sort of esoteric and abstract. Um, yeah. So, so when was the transition you said in the last year over to music videos, was that just cause it was something else you wanted to explore kind of, you had been doing the fashion thing. I'm sure you still do, but, um, is that something that you've enjoyed? Uh, I think it's kind of definitely been uh, like a like a hallmark of me is I'll take almost any job I'm offered because I just love the ability to try to do something differently because it's difficult these days where most agents or people you meet with they want you to brand yourself they want you to be good at one specific thing within this very broad field of directing so to speak and I've never wanted that I'd rather be able to be this sort of jack of all trades and be able to tell any story because I think especially when art moves from into this kind of postmodern uh, generation, we're also aware of like what all these other directors, you know, like what what a Kubrickian shot is, what a Spielberg shot is, what a Hitchcock shot is, or what Malick shoots like. And I think those things now become a tool belt for these directors moving forward and be able to use any sort of specific niche for any specific uh, client or emotion or moment, because you can almost scientifically break down the medium as it's evolved to you know exhaustion at this point. So. I don't know. I don't know how I got that far, but so like people offer me jobs. Uh, I think it was randomly. I think it was Pussy Riot was the first real music video, I, real whatever that means. Um, music <laughs> video I did. So I kind of was introduced to her through a friend. I think her, her name is Allie. She's a big songwriter now. She had seen my work on Instagram and introduced me to Nadia. So then Nadia kind of started talking. She asked me to write a treatment. I had no idea how to write a treatment, so I kind of threw together images in a really haphazard way. 
Um, and a few months later, we eventually made a music video, which is, as mine tend to be, a, a day of chaos. Um, and then from there, I kind of just kept getting, you know, as you make one music video, people think, oh, cool, this guy can do music videos. So then you keep getting different ones and keep trying different things. And here we are now. Well, yeah, it's uh, interesting you brought up treatments. That's one of the things I was going to ask you about. I know you're, I follow you on Instagram and you're frequently posting like, uh, just like little pictures of your, your image spreads and your treatments and stuff. And I think that's really cool to see. Cause I know most, I think most directors are pretty guarded about that stuff. So I think that's cool to see, but I'm just curious kind of, um, you know, what is your, what's your process like of putting a treatment together? And is it, is it always a different thing depending on the project or is, do you kind of have a, a workflow that you've discovered? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely different for any given job, obviously. Um, you know, there, there's, there's always going to be four or five larger ideas that you have in your back pocket that you've pitched before that you've honed with each time you pitch it, that when you get that, you know, larger scale budget that you're going to want to try to re kind of package that idea for a different band to kind of, get this sort of thought that's been in the back of your head done as I'm sure both you guys can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, beyond that though, you know, I, I have a love hate relationship with, with treatments. They're, they're, they're difficult. Cause I found that directing is so much dealing with rejection. Cause I mean, I probably write at least a treatment a day. I probably maybe land one out of every t- t- 10 treatments. So you have to get used to being rejected. Even when you're writing them, you can tell sometimes when you're probably not going to get the job. But you still like have to have that at bat, um, and I've I've kind of it's that's definitely that idea of rejection has definitely shaped the way I make treatments where I kind of care less about stepping on toes now. I kind of now more I love to talk, I love to write, and I uh, I think every time I get feedback about a treatment, they tell me I'm talking way too much, I'm being way too specific. But I kind of disagree with that notion. I feel that if you're going to invest a hundred thousand dollars into a brand, into a, a band. You want to know exactly what you're getting, and I'd rather be the person who's going to give you way too much detail, who's going to get way too into the, the branding side of things, the business side of things, to kind of thinking about all aspects of whatever this image is you're creating. And if they want to fault me for that, then oh well, and I'm happy to move on. I feel at some point someone's going to care. Or I'll just keep <laughs> keep getting rejected either way. Um, I don't know. So I, at the end of the day, I'll just listen to the song over and over again, put together a bunch of images, and just write about it it's pretty simple i guess do you um because we've talked to other directors like i think it was oscar hudson who talked to us and he said he he recycles some ideas do you ever uh like you know make a treatment for something and you think well this would work for something else oh yeah that's what i meant by the, the those five ideas you kind of keep in your back pocket yeah i think it was also like i'd read about you know spike jones uh when they this very similar thing that he kind of got rejected with the whole you know doing the video backwards before and so he kind of kept pitching that so i mean i've I definitely have a, a large kind of roster of thoughts and ideas that I kind of will always repackage and try to get some money to believe in. Cause it, you know, it's, it's also mostly about communication because especially when it's such a visual medium, you're only as good as the way you can describe it to the person listening. And it may be great in your head, but if you can't explain that to your DP, to all the people working with you, then you're automatically inherently limited and not doing a great job. Um, I definitely have learned that the hard way. You you also talked about a little about like the rejection of things and in music videos you know you're writing a lot more treatments you're lo- you know you inherently probably lose more what how have you like evolved as far as like taking a taking a loss or, or you know losing a losing a bid that maybe you really really wanted or thought you were gonna get um I think it's just that sort of 
being able to handle rejection on the commercial and music video side is kind of the way I keep doing this. I think it's because I know that most people can't put up with the nonstop rejection, the nonstop people saying no, the sort of nonstop people saying, Oh, we're going to fund your movie. They're not funded. Like the people that just have the will to keep going, the sort of idea of sweat equity is what I've been good at. I think more than anything is just my willingness to sacrifice my life, my time, my body to keep pushing and to have this sort of, you know, branding that this guy will take any job and do everything. Um, so I think that's, I think the going past the rejection is the only way that I know I can eventually actually win the job. Where would you say you go for inspiration or, or who are some of your, your influencers as far as like coming up with ideas for music videos or, or writing or anything like that? I'm all over the place with finding inspiration. Um, at this point, I have a giant, you know, amount of folders full of images that I really adhere to. And it can be from a lot of photographers I dig. I dig uh, Bruce Dent. She's uh, an Australian photographer that she's just really good with the color blocking and just really beautiful art direction. I love uh, Timothy Walker, his sort of sense of scale, of, of whim, uh, almost like a Disney-like uh, curiosity to him I find quite beautiful. Um uh, Guy Berden, uh like the way he has rhythm, the finer details. I, mean, I think the more I've learned to be specific with treatments, the more I tend to kind of really hone down the amount of images I use and, and be able to explain why. But also, I mean, directors are a big influence, but I kind of – I'm all over the place with, with influences, to be honest. Instagrams, I screenshot way too many things, just all of that. So a specific music video that you just fin- – uh, well, that came out recently was the Kygo music video. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that project came together and kind of what that looked like? The Kygo, uh, uh, Selena Gomez one. The, uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't me. That was, a, that was an interesting one. So the the songwriter that I would mentioned before, a girl named Allie, her last name is kind of failing me at the moment. She introduced me to Nadia, the Pussy Riot girl. And I was kind of very happy about what we did. Um, and then randomly, uh, companies I work with is Magna Carta. They had a treatment or board come through for this song. And when I was doing my research before writing the treatment, I realized that Ali and also Andrew Watt, um, wrote this song. So Andrew Watt was also the music video I did for him and Post Malone. Um, and him and Ali are a writing team. So it's kind of one of those kind of things where I immediately texted both Andrew and Ali last name's Tamposi, um, just saying that, hey, I'm writing a treatment. Could you guys put a word in for me? Uh, and they really did. And then also on the New York side, Magna Carta has quite a good reputation. So they kind of worked out to kind of win the job. And it's funny because I think at that point, it's not really about the content of what you're writing. It's more about these people that you know and that have the confidence in you to execute anything. Um, so it kind of worked out that way. So did – the was there a pre-existing idea did you say or no the the only idea i was kind of given was that that he likes neon and he likes nature so i kind of wanted to come up with a sort of way to kind of be terrence malick but also be you know nicholas winding refn and have that sort of color palette in this sort of more ethereal beautiful poetic vibe and you know to me it sort of just felt like this person was in a coma the whole time and that kind of made sense to me that you'd have like these lights influencing your physical body and then having that carry over to what we see in their mind uh, was kind of the premise behind it there. 
What were some of the challenges on that shoot? Was it, well, and how long of a shoot was that? That was, I think, about a day and a half. Um, I mean, the biggest challenge is I'm usually way too uh, ambitious with kind of my ideas for the given budget. The budget wasn't great, but I'm very quick to sacrifice any money I'd make and almost any money anybody else would make for that cause. Um, so I think that was tough. I know we wanted to find something that had a good forest, but it was the winter time, I think, if I recall. It was like the winter time in New York, so it's obviously pretty cold. We casting's always super tough because you know it's that really fine line where you want to tell these agents that this is going to be a, a big thing that's going to be viral, but at the same time you can't afford their full rate. So it's kind of it can go either way. Uh, we got very fortunate with Nathan Mitchell, who I've used multiple times uh, in my videos. And then Georgia Fowler had shot for like regular campaigns. And so she was kind of willing and kind of was used to my style and got lucky there. Um, what are the struggles? I don't know. It was just, just a full day. I think we had like 88 shots planned. That's always a bit much for a day and a half. Um, but we made it. Yeah. yeah. What is What is casting like for you? Do you typically work through agencies all the time or are there a lot of them like you said like pre-existing relationships with the actors and you just kind of reach out to them it's it's a dance it's always kind of a dance because even if you know the actors and the people involved and how many times you work with them you they're, they're still going to say but hey reach out to my agent yeah i'm into it but reach out to my agent so then you know it's you got to kind of find a way to make sure you book them on the commercial jobs as well to keep the agents understanding and aware that you're cognizant and aware of the fact of that their rates might be lower for your passion projects for the music videos as long as you can satiate the commercial side as well and strike that balance you tend to have a lot of uh a weight you know and you develop relationships that way with the agents and it's always kind of a give a give and a go back and forth situation so um after a project finishes are do you edit a lot of your projects or I do, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> you say unfortunately. Uh, do, you, do you like having the control, though? Um, I don't know. I, I Yes and no. I mean, I, I'm sitting here having to edit three music videos as we speak, and my producers smile at me across the room <laughs> because I'm behind <laughs> about a day and a half. I hate it sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of it's budgetary, where if someone tells me, you know, you got $80,000 to make a music video, mm -hmm. if they're going to tell me that $5,000 is going to go to an editor or $2,000 or any amount is going to not go into what goes on the actual screen, I'm always going to kind of sacrifice my own time and edit to try to get something better on the screen itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think it's, it's easier when I'm very involved with uh, the cinematography, the shooting, I often will be my own AD if the budget calls for it. So I can usually edit pretty quickly, at least faster than most anybody else could because of how familiar I am with the content, which can be a double-edged sword. My, uh, one of my, my best friends from SC, he's a post-producer and producer of uh, Jessica Jones and Bates Motel. He says that it's always – he can't stand that I always edit. But he's always my post-producer, but he's like, you know, at some point you're going to be so surprised with the way somebody else will put together what you shot with a fresh set of eyes. So it's, again, sort of a, it's a dance. It's a learning process. Yeah, they always say it's tough to kill your babies when you're editing your own material. So there's probably that one shot that you took 20 takes to yeah. get that you're going to put in there for that reason alone, whether or not you know that's why you're doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Could be. I mean, I, I definitely tend to tend to be a bit of an emotionless sort of objective person when it comes right. to killing babies. But uh, <laughs> even then still, I'm still, I'm sure I'm not totally being truthful there as well. So who right. knows? So where are you, uh, where are you based out of? Are you still in LA? 
Uh, still in Los Angeles, but I try to be gone as often as possible. So do you think li- living in that market has helped you in, in meeting more contacts and people? Um, I think so. I, I, I don't think I physically... I mean, I guess I do run into a fair amount of people that just entails more kind of going out and being social. But I think you tend to meet people more frequently or have better impact through your conversations via Instagram these days, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, just because inherently they can see your work or see the impact you have or see kind of your, your, your footprint. Um, and that carries a lot of weight where in person you have, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds to, to make a similar impression. Thankfully the mustache comes in handy in those moments. But, um, so it's, I don't know. I think these days I like being away from LA cause I, all you do is get emails of a commercial, you know, somebody from Germany says, all right, we got a commercial. Here's the boards or, a music video comes in from New York or whatever, and you still have to sit there and write a treatment. You can be anywhere. Don't have to be land, uh, yeah. locked to Los Angeles or New York or anywhere. Has has Instagram helped to to get you work, do you think? Absolutely. Uh, definitely. I'm not as good as it as I used to be, I think. I'm not good at – like a, people have grown. Like a lot of the photographers, you see them kind of really grow their followings, and a lot of it comes down to their willingness to, to shoot constantly and to shoot a lot of – test shoots with with models right and for whatever reason i kind of lost interest in that um and i think i've lost interest a little bit in instagram these days where i used to write a lot about like write a lot with each post and kind of tell stories and be more enthused and positive and i think as it's become a bit more of a business on the instagram side i've been posting less and less which you know might hurt or might hurt or harm but at this point i think the career's, career is in a point where it's more about taking time off to, to write more, which I'm bad at taking time off. But if I ever did so, I think I'd benefit from it at some point. And I guess, like, how do you how do you find that, like, work-life balance? I mean, it sounds like you're a pretty hardworking guy, but how, how do you let it not get get to your head too much, not let your ego get too big, or not let not lose sight of why you got into this in the first place? Um. I'm very bad at that balance, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, think most people are. Yeah, and I think the sad part is I take too much pride in not being good at that balance. Um, I, I take. Fortunately, I'm very close with my family. They keep me grounded, and I have a niece that is like almost two, and I could take photos of her all day, every day, and be a pretty, pretty happy person. So it's, it's fun to realize what makes you happy, and I think, with the filmmaking stuff. I think I've become to a point where I know how to have the tools and, and the voice to tell a story, but it, now it's kind of a shift where I want to be specific about the story I do tell, and I don't want to waste what I've learned for 12 years and what I've sacrificed on constantly telling stories that are motivated by a client or a band or an idea that wasn't inherently originally mine. So I think the next stage is about taking a breath, taking less jobs, and telling something truly personal to me that might help other people. Speaking a little bit about the kind of future goals, um, what's kind of the what's kind of the end goal? Is it to do narrative features, shorts? I'm like I said, I'm definitely all over the place. There, there are three features I know I want to make. Um, I want to finish writing a book that I've always kind of tinkered on, and I want to just travel a lot and just kind of keep documenting. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel a need to be kind of constrained by one medium mm-hmm. from the way it's all evolving. I think it's going to keep changing. Uh, I do have some ideas into VR and AR that I like. want to really get into. It's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm all over the place, but I know there's features for sure that I have to make. Awesome. 
So, you know, I guess the one thing we like to always end on is, is advice to your past self when you were just starting out or, or advice to uh, maybe some other filmmaker that's just getting their feet wet, maybe something something they should be doing or something they should avoid or just anything you've learned? Uh, advice. I think the one thing is, you know, try to tell a story. You, you try to film it. You get whatever scale or budget or camera, whatever it is, you try to tell that story. You shoot it and edit yourself because you'll have to sit and stare at your mistakes. Don't dwell on them. You learn and you do it again. And you do it again. You keep repeating. You keep learning and you'll get better and you'll find yourself not even purposely kind of going out with intent to get better, but just inherently by trying each time to get different people interested, trying to tell your story a different way, by trying a different angle. Like you will automatically get better just by repeating the process and staying objective. Um, and if you do it long enough, hard enough, and have the will, you'll, you'll become successful. There you have it, guys. That was Philip Lopez. You can stay up to date with his work uh, on Vimeo. Uh, you can go to Vimeo backslash Philip Lopez, or you can uh, hop over to his production company, Magna Carta TV, and his work is listed on there as well. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week, guys. We will uh, see you guys soon. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, unless this comes out after the holidays. In but case. either way, still happy holidays, even if we're referring to the next ones. Because there's always more holidays to be happy for. Hallmark. And bye. Bye. Bye.